I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been talking to you about spiritual Israel. And there's most of the world hates the doctrine of spiritual Israel, especially the Baptists. They don't like that. That's because what you have to do when you do away with spiritual, when you do away with literal Israel, you have to do away with their dispensationalism. Dispensationalism is where they say that every, that time is divided up into periods. And they call each one of those periods a dispensation. They think dispensation means a period of time. And they say from Adam until Noah, they live in the dispensation of innocence. And then from Noah unto the law, they lived in a dispensation of innocence, of, of law, of conscience, excuse me, of conscience. And then in the dispensation of the law, they lived under the law. And they've got many, many of those free will people have got many divisions of dispensationalism. And they take you down to what they call the dispensation of grace. And that's the church age, they say. We don't believe that here. Church age. The Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And over here in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, by faith, Noah being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, it never rained before, he moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. So Noah was saved by grace through faith. No different than you and I. Besides that, I have never heard one of these dispensationalists define dispensation. Dispensation comes from the word dispense. Dispense. When you have a dollar and you go up to a Coke machine, I guess I guess they're a dollar, I don't know, a dollar and a half. You go up to a Coke machine and you put a dollar in, it dispenses a Coke. That's what dispense means. Dispensation is the word oiko, O-I-K-O-N-O-M-I-A. That's the word dispensation. And this word, and the word stewardship, stewardship is the exact same word as dispensation. Oikonomia, it comes from oikos, oikos, and nomos. Nomos Nomos is the common Greek word law. And oikos is house or family. It means the law of the house or the family of God. And we are God's house. Christ is the son of his own house. Whose house are we? We're the house of God. We dispense from our mouths the word of God. That's all it means. And when you look up the word, it will say in your strong concordance, when you look up dispensation, it will say, 
will say economy. Notice economy has got the word nomos in it. It's got the word nomos. And when you say the word dispensation, economia, economy, it sounds like economy, doesn't it? It means economy of the house of God. It does not mean a division of time. My father was a dispensationalist. I hate I hate dispensationalism because they say what you do, you get down here to, to the pre-trib rapture. There is no pre-trib rapture. That would be at beginning of the last seven years of time and then at the end of time you've got you go into a thousand year reign then i'm going to talk about the kingdom of god today tonight the kingdom of god that comes notice i'll do this as i'm teaching through these series i put this pinwheel up on the board and what i do each time i come up I will extend one of these things. Inheritance, there has to be a death. And I went into that. There has to be a last will and testament. When Jesus said the cup is the New Testament in my blood, testament, when he said that, testament is the word diatheke. It means last will and testament. D-I-A-T-H-E-K-E. It means last will and testament. But the Bible says in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, there has in the twelve in the ninth chapter, there has to be a death of the testator in order for that to be any good. So when Jesus said this cup is the New Testament, he's not talking about drinking a cup of grape juice. To drink of a cup, everybody needs a McClinican Strong. The encyclopedia is the 12-volume set. But everybody that's got a computer here has got a McClinican Strong. You can look it up on the Internet. Just take your search engine and put up there McClinican Strong, and it'll pop up there. It'll be right in front of you. And it'll have the A volume, the B volume, the C volume, so forth, all the way through it. Have, has anybody gone on the Internet and looked up the, and look it up? It's right there in front of you. And you look at the sea volume, look at cup. It'll tell you to drink of a cup meant to undergo a violent death or to taste death. So what Jesus is saying, this cup, he's not talking about the cup of grape juice. He's talking about after he's dead about 18 hours later, you're going to have a testament to go by. And that's drinking a cup, death to self. And that's the truth, whether anybody wants to believe it or not. And that's, and I went into that in inheritance, and I listed all the things you have to inherit in First Peter, the second chapter, and God, and God gives you an example of what you have to inherit. The first thing on the list is you do no sin. Of course, no sin is the inner man that can't sin. That's what it is. And, then the second thing on the list is dolos, which is guile. It means to speak and live by trickery, to manipulate people. We're never supposed to be doing that. We use great p- 
plainness of speech to the point say it like it is now what I do I keep going out I will take one of these things on the pinwheel I'll have to get into the scapegoat today in the fast but the scapegoat we've already found out is in Leviticus the 16th chapter and we find it's alluded to in Luke the 11th chapter and there's another place it's alluded to that's Matthew the 17th chapter and the scapegoat is like your sin leaving your body it's like the outer man is being run off out of your body but it takes years for the scapegoat to leave our body and I'm not going to go through all that right now. What I want to get to is the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to go back and look with me at Luke, the 11th chapter. I'm, the kingdom of God is a branch off of casting out devils. It's a branch from that. And what I want to do is explain the kingdom of God to us here, okay? Most of these kind of what's wound me up on that is John MacArthur yesterday was talking about the millennium there is no such thing as a thousand year reign there can't be not according to the Bible look over here in Luke the 11th chapter and there's several words here you got to pay real close attention to Luke the 11th chapter and I gotta really go into a lot to help you see what the kingdom of God is. Look here in Luke eleven. Luke eleven and verse Luke eleven and verse twenty. But if I were the finger of God cast out it says devils. But the word is daemonion. D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N. Daemonion is our word demon. You will never find the word demon in a King James Bible. It will always, it'll say devil. And then it will say either Diabolos, when you look it up in the concordance, Diabolos, or it will say Daemonion. Daemonion is our word demon. Diabolos means to traduce or to lead away or lead astray. And that's what happens when you go after Daemonion, which means to distribute fortunes. Every time I write that down, I'm reminded that the word capitalism has the exact same definition as demon, demonion. When you look up in Webster's Dictionary, it says to distribute the fortunes of the railroads and the factories to the individuals. It has the same meaning as demon. That's astounding to me. Because the word, I'm going to say it again because this will be for people that hadn't heard the word fellowship in the Greek is the word koinonia. 
That's the word fellowship. It's also the word partaker. And when you translate this word koinonia to Latin, it translates C-O-M-M-U-N-I-S or socialism. If we... What's astounding to me, Russia was built upon a righteous concept, and they're a bunch of atheists, and we have founded America on a wicked concept of capitalism, and we're supposed to be Christians. This is backwards, isn't it? And you can't have Gorbachev or Putin or those guys distributing everything. It doesn't matter what capitalism or what communist is. It doesn't matter. It's whoever's at the top is going to have their way and going to rule with an iron fist. There's no difference in Washington and Moscow. Whoever's in charge rules. It's, they, go, they go by the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. That's the way it works. Now, I want you to see what this kingdom of God is about. It's not even hard to see. Look, let's read this. Verse 20. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt, the kingdom of God is coming to you. What is the kingdom of God? What was Jesus' title in the New Testament? King of the Jews, right? When did he become the king of the Jews? When he was born of Mary? No. Was he the God of the Old Testament? He said he was. He said in John 8, at the very end of the chapter, he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. The Pharisees said, you're not even 50 years old. You've seen God. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. For when he said, I am, they said, we'll kill you for calling yourself the living God. And they took up stones to stone him and he moved into the crowd. And Kenneth Copeland said, he never called himself God. He called himself God there. He said, I am the I am God. In fact, when the Lord told Moses, you go tell Pharaoh, let my children go. Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And Moses said, but what if the Israelites, they've been in bondage for 400 years. What if they say, what is his name? And Jehovah God said, you tell them, I am has sent me. So when Jesus said, before for Abraham was, I am, and no doubt they wanted to kill him. He was calling himself Jehovah God. In fact, Jehovah, and people want to fight over Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-H. Yahweh and Jehovah are the same word. When you take a Y and you translate it, it's a yod, a real small little letter like that. It's the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. When you translate the yod, yod, Y-A-D, you translate it into English, it translates J. There are no vowels 
in the Hebrew language. So all you have is YHWH. JHVH is the same as YH because a W and a V are the same except for the vowel points. So Jehovah is Yahweh. Same thing. I'm not going to fight somebody over his name. Besides that, that's not his name. Name is the word onoma in the Greek. That's the word name. And and it's the word shem in the Hebrew. And both of them mean authority. God's authority is his word. And the am is a form of the verb to be. Am the being verbs are be, is, am, are, was, were, being, been, have, has, had, do, does, did, shall, will, should, would, make, might, must, can, could. That's the being verbs. I memorized them in about the sixth grade. The teacher said, memorize the being verbs. I said, okay. So I did. And I can't forget them. It's like saying a little song. So I memorized. So to be is... To be, every one of those being verbs is a form of the verb to be or to exist. To exist. And Jehovah or Yahweh means self-existent. So it don't matter what you want to call God. He is still self-existent. He self-existed. So if you can walk down the aisle and get yourself saved by saying a prayer or accepting Christ, then that makes you, you've made yourself a being and therefore you're Jehovah. So we'll start calling you Jah for short, okay? J-A-H, that's short for Jehovah. Now, I don't understand why people want to fight over the name of God. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Which one of those you want? Or his name will also, he'll have upon his thigh a name written, the Word of God, when he comes back in Revelation 19. Name means authority. And his name is I Am. He says, I don't need a name. I'm the only God that is God. If you got Theological Word Book of the Old Testament, fantastic two-volume set. You look up B and it'll tell you, it'll talk about the isness of God. He is. He doesn't need a name. And that's Theological Word Book of the Old Testament. Great book. Great set of books. Now, so he said, if I were the finger of God, cast out demons. You can apply this everywhere you've got demons being cast out. You can apply how it's done here. No doubt the kingdom of God is coming to you. Let me show you who the kingdom of God is. Very quickly, go here to Hosea. It's the first of the minor prophets right after Daniel. Hosea, 13th chapter. And this will tell you who the kingdom of God is and who the king of the Jews is. Look here in Hosea 13 and 9. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. Hosea is talking about how they brought in Baal and the grove, destroyed themselves. They all talk about it. It's not new. 
but in me is thine help. This is God talking to Israel. I will be thy king. Who's the king of the Jews? Jesus. This is Jesus pre-incarnate. So he's the king of the Jews. Since he's the king of the Jews, would kingdom of God be his kingdom? Well, yeah. If you got the McClinic and Strong, you can go on the internet and get it. Here's an article on uh, the K volume, Kingdom of God, and it'll tell you in here that kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of Christ are all one and the same. Where did they get kingdom of heaven as opposed to kingdom of God? That happened about 200 B.C. If you will notice, when you're looking at Matthew, the fifth chapter, the Bible will say that's the that's the Beatitudes in the fifth chapter, and that is the Sermon on the Mount. Five, six, and seven is one of the most profound messages that have been preached by Jesus himself. The first message he preached right out of the chute, just jumping all over the case of the Pharisees. I could go into that, but I won't. So Matthew 5, the Bible says, Blessed is the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then when you go over to Luke, to Luke, the sixth chapter, the Bible says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. All through Mark, it'll say kingdom of God. All through Luke, it'll say kingdom of God. All through Matthew, it will say kingdom of heaven. They're the same. Even they'll say that in this article out of McClinic and Strong. Tell you that. I'm not going to read all of it because there's so much to it. So, the kingdom of God, what happened was about 200 B.C. before Christ come, all the rabbis got together and said, we don't want to bring reproach on the name God, so they wrote God G-D. You ever seen it written like that? That's the way they wrote it, G-D. They said they're not bringing reproach on God's kingdom like that. So they inserted heaven. That's why they say, the best scholars say, that Matthew was written to the Jewish believers. So it would say heaven instead of God. But they're the same thing. So, the kingdom of God is Israel. And the Bible says a Jew is not outwardly, but of the heart. Circumcision is not outwardly, but of the heart. And Paul said in in Philippians, the third chapter, he said, we are the circumcision. Me and you Philippians. Philippi, you see where it is? Right up here north, on the northern end of the Aegean Sea, right there. They were Gentiles. He said, we, I was born here in Tarsus, raised in Tarsus. And he said, and I was a Jew. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And I'm a Jew, but you are Gentiles over here. And we are the circumcision, which worship God in spirit. We have no confidence in the flesh. He said, you and I are the circumcision. He numbered himself being a Jew with the Philippians as a spiritual Jew. Why you people don't believe that, I don't know. 
doesn't make any sense. Now, I want to get into this. Look over here in First Samuel. I'm going to give you... You're going to have this all through the Old Testament. I'm simply showing you how Jesus was king of the Jews and how the kingdom of God was Israel. Look over here in First Samuel, the 12th chapter. And this is talking about when... When Samuel's about to give Saul his coronation, he's going to make him full-fledged king. He's had some battles and wars that started in the 11th chapter. The Israel kept saying, give us a king to rule over us. And Samuel, who was the prophet at that time in the 8th chapter of this book, he said, you want a king to rule over you? And you've got God as your king, and he's got earthquakes, and he's got lightning bolts, and he's got fire from heaven, and you want somebody with bows and arrows instead of that? Is something wrong with you? They said, give us a king. He said, all right, I'll do it. But I'll give you a king out of the wrong tribe. So God had Saul go and he led Saul to Samuel. And he said, God wants you to... He led Saul Saul to... uh, He led Samuel to Saul, excuse me. But Samuel to Saul and said, God wants you as a king. But the Bible says in the ninth chapter of 1 Samuel that Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. That's the wrong tribe for the king to come from. God said, I'll give you a king and it'll be the wrong king. So when he picked him out... And Saul starts fighting for Israel in the 11th chapter of 1 Samuel. Saul loses his temper and goes off the deep end, does things he shouldn't do. And so after he goes through the 11th, 12th, in the 12th chapter, he's received his coronation. He loses his temper in the 11th chapter when he's fighting Nahash, the king of the Moabites. And he says here in in the 12th chapter of 1 Samuel, not 2 Samuel. I got the wrong Samuel. 12th chapter of 1 Samuel. And, and he's trying to warn the people, don't go after Baal and the grove and all these gods because you do this. God will bring you no rain or too much rain and wash your, wash your crops away. They're going, please don't do that. Anyway, down here, he's Samuel's warning the people. In verse 12, When you saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, he was a Ammon, Ammonites were northern Jordan. Moab was southern Jordan, and Ammon was northern Jordan. And Ammon was the king of the Ammonites. He was king of the Ammonites, and you said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king of the Jews. Let me add that. So God was the king of the Jews in the Old Testament long before Jesus was born of a woman, wasn't he? He was. Now, 
since he was the king of the Jews, wouldn't that be called kingdom of God? That's another name for Israel is kingdom of God. Now let's go back to the New Testament. Let's go back over to... Let's go back over to the 12th chapter of Matthew. So, the kingdom of God comes by the finger of God, right? If I were the finger of God, cast out devils. Then the kingdom of God has come to you. So anywhere you find cast out devils, it has to be when God takes his finger and writes upon fleshy tables of our hearts. So that's casting out demons. It's not some guy watering on the floor in a Pentecostal church and we say, come out thou foul spirit and he's watering and shaking. That's just foolishness. Because it, it doesn't match up with this. Now when you go to Matthew the 12th chapter, Matthew 12. And he's talking about this one man that Jesus cast devils out and or he cast demons out. Well, it has to be with the finger of God. And they say, he casts out devils by Beelzebub. And, and Jesus said, if Satan cast out Satan, how can a kingdom stand? It's ridiculous to say that. Then he says in verse 28, But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, so if the Spirit of God is the method of casting out devils, then the Spirit of God is equal to the finger of God, isn't it? Whatever he does with his finger is the same thing as the Spirit of God. When you look at John 14, 15, John 15, 26, John 16, 13, he says in a little different way, when the Comforter is come, and the Comforter is the Spirit of God, He'll guide you into all truth. Says that in John sixteen thirteen, and in First John five and First John five and six, the he says the Spirit is the truth. Can you get any more plain than that? Or you can get a little plainer. Truth is the word aletheia. A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A. Aletheia is the word truth. And everywhere you find truth, you can put this here. It's a construction of lanthano. L-A-N-T-H-A-N-O. Lanthano means to hide. Conceal. To lie hidden, hidden or to hide. And the alpha in front of a word as a negative particle, when it's in front of alanthano, it negates the word lanthano. It gives an opposite meaning to it. It means not to hide anything. 
That's what truth is, and that's the Spirit, and that's what He writes upon fleshy tables of our hearts with His finger, right upon heart, with the finger of God. The finger of God always writes truth wherever He writes it. In fact, you've got two handwritings. Two handwritings, two handwritings. One on tables of stone in the Old Testament. This is in Deuteronomy 9. Deuteronomy 9. Look at that real quick. Look at Deuteronomy 9. Deuteronomy, the ninth chapter. And he says here in verse 10, And the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God. Sounds just like Luke 11, doesn't it? And on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire and the day of assembly. And he also says that same thing in Exodus twenty four twelve and Exodus thirty one eighteen. Right he delivered to Moses tables of stone written with the finger of God. Now let's go over here to first uh, to second Corinthians to 2 Corinthians. I'm just going to try to connect all this real quick. 2 Corinthians, I'm talking about the kingdom of God, which is heaven. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, chapter 3, and verse 2. Ye are our epistle written in our hearts. He's talking to the church at Corinth. You're the epistle written by God, known and read of all men, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink any longer, but with the Spirit. That's what he said in Matthew 12 with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone any longer, but in fleshy tables of the heart. So when God's going to blot out handwriting of ordinances, He's not going to blot out the one written in our hearts. He's going to blot the one out written on tables of stone, isn't He? But the law is still here. The law hasn't been done away with. If the law's done away with, you can go out and rob banks tomorrow. And you can go... You can go kill somebody if you don't like them. People say the law's done away with That's ignorance. Now, I want us to go back over here to to Hebrews, the 8th chapter. I'm going to give you this real quick. Hebrews 8. And he says here, this is just to ensure you so you'll know. And he says here in the 8th chapter, this is talking about the church, verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. He's talking about the church there. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. There's the finger of God again. Now look over here at the 10th chapter. 
10th chapter. Verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with Israel, or the church, with them after these days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and in their minds will I write them with my finger. Is there any doubt what the kingdom of God is and where it is? It's written in our hearts. Now, where is the kingdom of God? Well, that was asked to Jesus over in Luke 17. Let's look at Luke 17. Luke 17. And Luke 17... All right. Jesus is talking here in verse 20. When he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come. Well, that's not hard to figure out. It's when he writes it in fleshy tables of our hearts. Isn't that right? Exactly. These dispensationalists hate this. I don't know what they do with these verses. When will the kingdom of God come? Why would they ask him that question? Kingdom of God was Israel. Why would they ask him that? Because. And most people would say, well, Israel was here in the first century while Jesus was here. It was not. When those four decrees were given by those Persian kings, Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. When they gave those decrees, that that was when Israel was in Babylonian captivity, and that was only given to southern Judah. For them to go back from this from being on the Euphrates River in Babylon, go back over here into Israel and rebuild, rebuild the temple and rebuild the city that was leveled by Nebuchadnezzar. So the only people that came back was southern Judah. And southern Judah, southern Judah, was comprised of two tribes. And they're the only ones that were back in the days of Jesus. That was the tribe of Judah. They named the southern kingdom after Judah because he was the fourth son of Jacob. And out of Judah would come the king. The scepter will not depart from Judah there in the 49th chapter of Genesis. Nor lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. The scepter would always be Judah's. David was from the tribe of Judah. Jesus was the lion of Judah. And he traces all the way back to Judah, the fourth son of Jacob. That's why Saul was not correct king he was picked out of the tribe of Benjamin by God he says you want a king you keep begging for a king I'll give you one he'll be out of the wrong tribe and he'll do wrong and he did that's all he did was give him the wrong king and boy did they they regret that every day of their life but 
without that happening, none of that intricacy of David's life would have happened. Now, and even Solomon wouldn't have been, if David had not had an affair with Bathsheba and her, had her husband Uriah the Hittite killed, and then later on, and that son that he had, that when he got Bathsheba pregnant, that son died, and later on Bathsheba had Solomon, and was Solomon ordained of God to build the temple before the foundation of the world? Yeah. But not without David having an affair with Bathsheba, without David killing Uriah the Hittite, her husband. Boy, try to get your hand on that. God, God says, your thoughts aren't my thoughts. You can't think the way I think. I think about that often. Now, where was I? Oh, I was talking about who was back from the captivity during the days of Jesus. Days of Jesus. Let me give you something most people don't know. Northern Israel was led by Ephraim. But it wasn't actually Ephraim. You'll see in Genesis 48, when Joseph is over here in Joseph is over here in Egypt, and his father comes over and wants to meet Joseph and his two grandsons, Manasseh. And Ephraim. Ephraim was second born. God blesses a second born many times in the Old Testament. Abel was second born. Ephraim was second born. Jacob was second born of the two. Jacob and Esau. Jacob came out of the womb with his hand on the heel of Esau, tripping him. That's what his life was about. He was a trickster. And Jacob, Yaqab, means heel catcher, one who trips people up, and he was a liar. You, when you first read Jacob, we was riding home one night after I taught on Jacob. Mary said, I hate that guy. <laughs> Don't want Jacob. Don't want Jacob. She said, I just hate him. Well, but his name was changed to Israel, and he repented, and he made a lot of mistakes like you. Like me. But anyway, so in that 48th chapter, Joseph brings, Joseph has been in Egypt for at least 20 years. And Joseph is wearing probably one of those uh, beards of the Egyptians and got some serpent on his head, a little crown, and he looked like an Egyptian. So Joseph has been living without understanding the things that his father Jacob knew. So Jacob brings his two sons to... Uh, Joseph brings his two sons to Jacob. And the way Joseph understands it, 
always the firstborn son gets the blessing and the inheritance. So Joseph walks up to his father in that 48th chapter of Genesis. He's got his left hand upon the hand of Manasseh. And he's leading him over to his father's right hand. The right hand conveys the inheritance. He gets everything that the right hand is supposed to come on his right hand. And he's leading his second-born son, Ephraim, to to Jacob's left hand. He leads him like this. And just as he gets close to him, Jacob does this. Wow. And Joseph jumped back and said, Not so, my father. Manasseh's my firstborn. And Jacob said, I may be old and I may be dim of age, but I know what I'm doing. And Ephraim, from then on, after the death of Jacob, after the death of Joseph, anytime you find Ephraim mentioned, that means he is, he had the inheritance of all of Israel. He was the head of the ten northern tribes. And without the inheritor there, nobody was home. That's why they did not consider Israel back during the first century. Only Judah and Benjamin were back with all those four degrees. That's it. Without Ephraim there, he was ahead of the ten lost tribes. And they could not possess everything. But at the end of time, according to the 11th chapter of Isaiah, the breach between Ephraim and Judah will be healed. And that'll be at the end of time. And that's healed right now. They are one nation right now. You'll find that in the Valley of Dry Bones in the 37th chapter of Ezekiel. So we got to be close to the end of everything. Anyway, I don't know what got me on that track. I was talking about, I was talking about the ten tribes only the two tribes were back during Jesus' day. Just the ten northern tribes were called the lost tribes. And they were headed by Ephraim. When you read the book of Hosea, Hosea's message was to northern Israel or to Ephraim. Remember, who was it that brought corruption into northern Israel and brought Bell in the Grove in? It was Jezebel and Ahab. But that was the land of Ephraim. And when you look, anytime you're reading about Ephraim, you're reading about Ahab's condition, what he had done to northern Israel. That's what you're doing. And when you look at Hosea, Hosea's message is to Ephraim. Ephraim was Joseph's favorite, so actually it's talking about Joseph. When you look at the Valley of Dry Bones in the 37th chapter of Ezekiel, and the Bible says at the end of time, take one stick for 
Joseph the stick of Ephraim. It says it that way. Take one stick of Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and one for Judah, and there'll be one in my hand at the end of time. They're one now. Well, this nation and the corrupt as it is, and the politicians as corrupt as they are, and the preachers as corrupt as they are, and the fact that Israel is back into one nation, the end may not be that far down the road. We need to be prepared when it comes. And he says here, I was going to give you something in Jeremiah, and I forget what it was. Now, I'm talking about the kingdom of God. Did I give you Luke 17? Huh? He said, well, did I give it to you or did I just turn to it? Uh, I'm going to read the verse now. Where is the kingdom of God? Jesus, oh, that's what I was saying. The reason they were saying in this 17th chapter, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? What they meant, are you going to bring the ten tribes down here, Jesus, and join them up with the two tribes that are already back and have the whole kingdom of God here once more so you can fight Rome over here and destroy them? Are you going to do that for us, Jesus? And so they can overcome this Roman Empire. They were looking for an actual deliverer. That's what they were looking for. And look here what he says. Seventeenth chapter. Verse twenty. When it was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come back. I'll just put back in there. When Israel would be back, I thought they were back. No, they're not. They're under the rule of the Roman Empire. They are just a satellite nation of Rome. Rome had a title for themselves. They called themselves kings of kings. Oh, They said they were kings over all the kings of the earth and they would let you in Greece run your show if you would behave yourself. And they would let you run your own show on Western Asia or Western Asia Minor, which was Turkey. And they'd let you run your show over here in Israel as long as you didn't cause any trouble. And what they had, they had their representatives there. They had Pilate there. They would set up one of the Herods. The Herods were false kings. Herods were of the tribe of Edom. They were of the nation of Edom. They were Edomites. They were not of the tribe of Judah. That was the Herods. And they would go over to Rome and court the Romans and have the Romans appoint them as some king over here. So they're, they're being ruled by Rome. That's why they have Roman prefects there, people like Pilate. He's running the show. And they're saying, are you going to restore the kingdom and bring the ten northern tribes back and join them up with these two tribes we've got here now? Remember, northern Israel was called Samaria. 
And the Pharisees hated Samaria. Why? Well, because... Remember, God said, if you're not obedient to me, I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence. And then the last judgment I'll send will be the beast. And the beast was Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. So he sent the beast in to carry him away into captivity. And they're over here in Babylon. They had to be carried away like this because this is all Arabian desert here. You can't travel through the desert without dying. So it will say that there was a a bird that come from the east referring to Nebuchadnezzar and then it will say he attacked from the north because they always had to go north of this Arabian desert and attack from the north. So if it says he's from the east and attacks from the north, that's why. It's pretty simple. Now, and Jesus says here, when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, It means ocular observance. It will not be with your eye that you see it. The kingdom of God, it won't be David riding out of Jerusalem with a big coming out across this drawbridge here. And he won't be have the star of David on his the Star of David on his shield. He won't have that. And it won't he won't be riding a white horse. It won't be that way. It won't be ocular observance. Binoculars is two oculars. It will not be ocular observance, then he says, For the kingdom of God is within you when he when it comes back it will be a spiritual israel i don't know why people hate spiritual israel it's right here now let me tell you something the kingdom of god is not i was listening to john MacArthur yesterday and i thought oh gosh john you don't know what you're talking about He says the kingdom of God is in the future. It's the millennial reign. A thousand years after time is over. One thousand. That's a terrible doctrine. Right before that is the seven-year tribulation. And then before that is the end of the dispensation of grace, the church age. This seven year and this thousand years is a bunch of garbage. I don't know why men don't understand that. So he says, he says that the kingdom of God is the thousand year reign, but the Bible says it's in you. And it says, if I were the finger of God or with the truth of God cast out demons out of you, which is self, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. How can that be? And how can there be a thousand year reign this is working right in with this 
go back over here to First Corinthians fifteen fifty one fifty two. I don't know how long it'll take me to get through this. It'll take me a good while. Fifteen fifty one. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Now, sleep was a term used for the dead in Christ. Remember when Jesus said, or when Paul said in First Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. We which are alive and remain shall not go before those that are asleep. It meant their body was dead over here in a tomb, but their spirit is with the Lord. But we all we shall all be changed. Alasso, A-L-L-A-S-S-O. This is the word changed into something different. That's the word changed. It means... To make different, we'll have new bodies. We shall all be changed. Uh, In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, now the next few words is the time factor at the last trump. That's the time factor, isn't it? And the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. I would read the rest of this. I've got too many things to say on it. Now, if we're going to be changed at the last trump, let's go back. Let's go look at the last trump. Go to Revelation the 10th chapter well let's look at the 8th chapter first last is the word eschatos e-s-c-h-a-t-o-s we get our word eschatology from that it means the study of the end times eschatos means the last in a series after which no other trumpet will sound. No other. So, let's go over here to Revelation and look at chapter 8. Chapter 8. And verse 2. And I saw these seven angels. The is a definite article. It's talking about a particular group of seven angels. They stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets, and they're all going to sound. Who are the seven angels? Look back at the first chapter. I keep saying a trumpet was a voice. Anytime you find trumpet, it is a V-O-I-C-E. If you hear, if you're in the army, you da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That means, all the soldiers know that means charge. If you hear, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
That's a rebelly. It means get up, it's time to eat and fall into formation. I know what it means. I was in military school, I heard it every morning. So trumpets, when you hear them, they are voices. They tell. The Bible tells you in the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he's talking about all those tongues those people are preaching. And Paul is saying, you're not going to know the sound of a voice and let it give a distinct sound. He said, a trumpet has to tell you what to do. And all the soldiers know what to do when they hear the trumpet, don't they? It's nothing but a voice. It's a way of talking to the troops. That's it. So, he says here, there's seven angels. What are the seven angels? You go back to the first chapter, verse 16, talking about Christ standing amidst the seven candlesticks. Sounds like this is a Jewish book. Seven candlesticks started in Exodus, the 25th chapter. So there's seven stars in the right hand of Christ. Right hand means the hand of authority. So he gives you he gives you a glossary of the whole book in the last verse of this first chapter. And the mystery of the seven stars that's in the right hand of Christ, which I sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are these seven angels that have seven trumpets. Are the seven sounding angels of the seven churches. The angels are a voice. If they're a voice, they're giving light, aren't they? Light is sheds light on things and tells the truth about things. The seven candlesticks was the official light in Israel. Inside inside the the temple Here's the veil. Here's the candlesticks. It was the only official light. Here's the table of showbread. There's the altar of incense. Here's the Ark of the Covenant. There's the brazen sea. And then here's the altar while the sacrifices. So he's talking about these seven candlesticks right there. They're beaten gold. And then he says... So he says... The seven, these seven angels, the angels, the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. There's more than seven churches in Asia. There was a bunch of churches there. There was the church of Pergamos. There was a church of Choaz up here, the church of Milita down here, which are not part of the seven churches. Seven is the number of divine refinement. Now, so he he tells us who the seven angels are. There's seven announcers. And then he says in chapter 8, chapter 8, he starts talking about the sounding of the seven trumpets. And we're going to be changed at the last trump. In verse 6, the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. 
And the first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire and mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees were burned up. This is the same thing that happened in Exodus the night, chapter 8 through 12, when fire fell from heaven. Then he says in verse 8, And the second angel sounded, as it were a great mountain burning with fire. That's really interesting there. I keep trying to say to everybody, Revelation is not a chronological book with one activity after another. It's not. You got the end of time in the sixth chapter. You have the end of time in the eighth chapter, this chapter. You got the end of time in the tenth chapter. You got the end of time in the eleventh chapter. It's actually John being shown visions and he's standing looking at different from different viewpoints of the same actions. You got the end of time in the 14th chapter when the wine press is trampled and the blood is up to the horse's bridle bits. It don't mean the flood of blood is that high. It means that's going to be such a slaughtered army at Armageddon. It's going to be splashing that high. The third part was, it says, a burning. There's a great mountain burning. In Jeremiah, the 51st chapter, God says, Babylon, which was the mother of harlots, was a proud mountain. God says, I'm going to make her a burn mountain. That's Babylon, the mother of harlots. And then he says over in the 18th chapter of Revelation, we see this great mountain burning. Well, it's the same thing that's going on right here. It's Babylon ending. And was cast into the sea in a third part of the sea. Always. Every time you see Babylon destroyed, it always is cast into the sea. You can see it in the 51st chapter of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says to a prophet, take this book to Babylon and tie a rock on it and throw it into the Euphrates River and say, so shall Babylon sink. And then when you get into Revelation, the 18th chapter, you see Babylon sinking into the sea. And the Bible says, when you... If you say unto this mountain there in the 11th chapter of Mark, say unto this mountain, Be thou, and not doubt in your heart, be thou cast into the sea. That was because Peter was arguing with Jesus. He had made himself a name. He's talking about that's a Babylonian system. And the same thing happens to the swine in Mark 5. And Mark, uh, Matthew 8 and Luke 8. And the, the crazy man says, and he's crazy. He says, don't take my, don't take my, my, uh, ancestors from me. They're in the swine. Put them into the swine. And God is saying, here's what happens to animals. When you put the desire for self in them, they'll run down into the sea and kill themselves. They run into the sea. 
that's amazing every time Babylon comes down it sinks into the sea you can see that in Revelation 18 you can see it here you can see it in Mark 11 you can see it in Jeremiah 20 Jeremiah 51 and then he says and let me go a little faster on this and then he says the second angel sounded in verse 8 and in verse 10 the third angel sounds I don't have time to stop and go through all this and then he says in verse 12 the fourth angel sounds then in verse 9 chapter 9 verse 1 the fifth angel sounds that's when gosh I could talk about this all day long but I don't have time but what I'm getting at kingdom of God is not a millennium a thousand year reign after this over and I'll show you that in just a minute and then he says in chapter 9 chapter 9 that the sixth angel sounds in verse 13 then when you get to chapter 10 I saw another mighty angel this is Christ come down from heaven clothed with a cloud and a rainbow upon his head when the when the people back in that day and time when they were in battle and they come in out of battle they hung their bows up like this when they were at peace they hung their bow like that with a bow upward on the wall this has to be Jesus with a bow like this this is for war it's a rainbow rainbow is the word iris I can't even go there it's the same thing as the iris of the eye and Iris was the goddess of the rainbow. Don't have time to go in the eyes of the Lord. Now, chapter 10. And he had opened his hand, a little book opened. That's the same little book earlier that 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 he tells John to put in his mouth and eat or he says it in this chapter here and his mouth is sweet and it's bitter when it gets to his stomach that's a picture of the story of the trials of life it's sweet in our mouth but it's bitter when we have to deal with it and then he says and a person that called me and asked me the other day what's these seven thunders verse 4 when the seven thunders uttered their voices I was about to write and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me seal up those things with the seven thunders uttered and write them not I don't know what the seven thunders are the Bible says John don't write them down all I can think of was storm trials rain no rain famine that's all I could think of and the angel which I saw which I believe is Jesus stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven this is at the sounding of the seventh angel the last trump and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that are therein and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time no longer 
at the sounding of the seventh trump in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he begins to sound the mystery of God is over it's finished finished teleos teleotes t-e-l-e-i-o-t-s it means complete the last one is coming to the fold the last one does it look there's any time after this time is no more there's not seven years of tribulation after this there's not a thousand year reign it's not true well doesn't the bible say that uh, we'll reign for a thousand years yeah let me tell you what I've come up with on that. I've got so much more on this seventh trumpet. How much time do I have, Mike? Twenty. Twenty. I can't get through everything I want to get through on that. Let me give you the last trump a couple other times. Look over here in Matthew. Matthew 24. I know I've taught this many times before. I don't ever get tired of teaching it. And you can't get it all at once. Matthew, the 24th chapter. The apostles come to Jesus. And they say, Have you considered this great temple of Herod? It's a wonderful temple. And some writers say that it took up about 28 acres all the things that Herod added to it, parks and places to sit for the people. And they say, the disciples came to Jesus, show him the buildings of the temple. This was Herod's additions. And Jesus said unto them, See you not all these things, fairly I say unto you, there shall not be one stone left upon another that shall not be thrown down. See, the apostles believe this thing was so magnificent. I saw a special on it one night. It covered about 28 acres, and they thought it'll last till the end of time. But in 70 A.D., Titus, the Roman general, is going to come in and pull all the stones off the temple and level it to the ground. So they said, what they did, they connected the leveling of the temple with the end of time. And Jesus said, See yet all these things, barely I say unto you, there will not be one stone left of one another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be when one stone is not left upon another? And what shall be the sign of thy coming, Perusia, your physical arrival in the end of the world? They connected the, level, the, the temple being leveled with the end of the world, and it wasn't. The leveling of the temple would come in 70 A.D., about 30 years later. And then Jesus says, okay, let me start telling you what's going to happen. Take heed that no man deceive you. Seduce you to lead you away from the narrow way. For many shall come in my name and they'll say that I am Christ. It's easy to say that Jesus is Christ and not be telling the truth. That's what Kenneth Copeland says. Jesus is Lord and he don't even believe that because he don't believe the Bible. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. 
For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation shall rise against nation. That's a very interesting word. Nation is the word ethnos. It's our word ethnic. E-T-H. N-O-S. It's also the word Gentile. That's very important for you to remember. It's nation and the word Gentile. Same word. Gentile will rise against Gentile. That's very important to look at the thousand years. And then he goes on down here and says, many of the delivery to be afflicted in verse 9. Uh, many will come. Many will be offended. And then he says, iniquity will abound in verse 12, but the agape of many will wax cold. People walking in the commandments of God will get cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached into all the world. And that happened in Acts 2. When you shall see, therefore, the abomination of desolation, as spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. I don't have time to discuss this. This is a long discussion. And he keeps on going down here and he says, he says in verse 21, But then shall be great tribulation, such as is not from the beginning since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. I keep telling people, the worst is yet to come. With all of our government just in an upheaval, the president's situation crazy, the, the financial, the, the, the whole world is on the, on the verge of bankruptcy. And I've preached on that. And except those days should be shortened, that no flesh will be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here's Christ, or he's over there, don't believe anybody. Don't believe Oral Roberts when he saw a 900-foot Jesus out by that paratyron in Oklahoma. Oral Roberts... Jesus says right here, there's a man going to come. His name's going to be Oral Roberts. And he's going to say that he saw me out there standing 900 feet tall by a prayer tower in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And Oral Roberts will be lying. Some little grandmother says they saw Jesus in their bedroom. She's on something or smoking something that night. Or drunk. If any man shall say to you, oh, here's Christ or there, don't believe it if the Mormons say he's in a secret temple out here in Utah and the head of the Mormon church talks to him. The guy's lying. That's what Jesus said here. Yeah, there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible... They'll deceive the very elect. They're going to be really good at convincing. And then he says, verse 26, Wherefore, if they shall say to you, Behold, he is in the desert, 
like the, the Jehovah's Witnesses in 1914 said, Jesus is coming in the desert, and they all went out there and waited for him. He didn't come. So they come up and said he came spiritually. Good excuse there. Go not forth. Behold, he's in the secret chamber out there in the Mormon temple. Don't you believe that? Because the next time the world sees me, it'll be as the lightning shines from the east to the west. That doesn't mean that he's coming out of the east. How does the lightning shine from the east to the west? It goes all the way around the world, doesn't it? Every eye shall see him when he comes back. And then he says, wheresoever the eagles is, there will wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. He says that in Revelation 19 and in 39 chapter Ezekiel. I'm going to call all the fowls of the air. There's going to be millions dead. I'm going to call all these birds of the air to come and eat at this feast of the Lord. I'm killing all of them. And then he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, there's a time factor, isn't it? After the tribulation, in those days shall the sun be dark and the moon shall not give her light. i got a lot to say on that. And the stars shall fall from heaven. That's those seven stars in the right hand of Christ. And the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Then shall they appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in clouds of heaven with with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels after the tribulation of those days with a great sound of a trumpet. The last one hadn't sounded yet, has it, until here. This is going to be the same time factor as the seventh trumpet sounding there in Revelation 10 and 7. We've got to be pretty close to the end of time. I don't see everything I've studied about the end of time over the years, how all this could happen with us not being a part of the end. I may not be alive. I'm, I'm getting pretty old. I may not live another 10 years. I believe some of these young people will see the end. It's what we need to do is be bound to the will of God and bound to Him. I believe we're sitting on the verge of eternity. Now let me go over here to Revelation. I'm trying to show you. I'm trying to show you that in Revelation 20, There's no, not going to be any time after the seventh trump, is there? No time after the seventh trump. The mystery of God was the church is complete and it's over. When it's changed and we're going to be taken out to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord at the signing of the last, the seventh trumpet. And then he says here in Revelation 20, Revelation 20. I saw an angel come down from heaven, having a key 
of the bottomless pit. And the bottomless pit doesn't mean a deep hole in the ground that has no bottom. It's that word, abusos. A-B-U-S-S-O-S. It's our word, abyss. A-B-Y-S-S. It comes from the word, bathos. Means something that's profound, with great profundity, with great knowledge. The alpha in front of that negates the word, translates abusos. It means no knowledge. That's, if you remember, the only people that had any knowledge of God up until Acts 2 was Israel. The place of no knowledge was the Mediterranean Sea. And that's where the beast was. The beast was Babylon. Persia, Greece, Rome. And the beast rises up out of the sea. It's not hard to see when you look at a map, is it? Then he says, and he laid hold on the dragon. It's not the fire-breathing dragon of St. George and the dragon. Dragon is the word dragon. It means to fascinate. Speak smooth words, good words and fair speeches. That's how they deceived. And serpent, which is Diabolos. He leads the world astray. And the serpent which is the devil and Satan and bound him. It says a thousand years, but you've got to remember there are no indefinite articles in the Greek. We've got three articles in the English. B, A, and N. A and N are indefinite articles. You can cross those out in the Greek. We got one definite article in English, B. They've got 24 ways just to spell B. Is that important? It's all important. Because I can't get into that right now. I don't even have any time. I've gotten into it many times before. This is the word they right here. Masculine, feminine, neuter, gender, masculine, feminine, neuter, gender, the plural, in the singular, nominative, gender, dative, accusative case. That's where it is in the sentence. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, he used the word taste, feminine gender. But he's talking to the apostles. That's the nucleus of the church, the wife, the bride of Christ. He said, the way you know in John 14. He used feminine gender because he said, I'm the way that's inside the church. You. But you can't translate that correctly. You can't put an English word and then say feminine gender after people. You're adding to the word of God. That's why the King James Bible in English is a... It's 
not correct. I use a King James because it comes from the correct text. But then he says, and he bound him, so it's not a thousand. The word is kilioi. C-H-I, thousand is the word C-H-I-L-O-I. O-I is always plural. Thousand to us is like this. They didn't have zeros in Israel. Zeros were, how do you know this? I've studied numbers for years. Any multiple of ten, a hundred, or a thousand is a form of the original number. Ten is a form of one. Hundred is a form of one. Thousand is a form of one. So thousand is not what we would call an adjective. An adjective tell which, what kind of, how many. Thousand is a noun, not an adjective telling how many. A noun is a person, place, or thing. This is a thing, just like dozen is a thing. Dozen means twelve of something, but it's one, singular. Thousand is singular. Kilioi is plural. Plural. So it really needs to be 2,000 or more. And here's the key to this right here. The next few words. And bound him. Bound is the word D-O. That was a rabbi's term. Bound is D-O. Loose is the word luo. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You have to know that heavens, the heavens was Israel. Dio means to forbid. Declare unlawful. That's what the word binds Satan. He's being bound for one thing, and it'll tell you right here. He is forbidden in this next verse and cast him into the place of no knowledge away from Christ and his church and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the 2,000 years is finished. That he should deceive the ethnos Gentiles. There's a 2,000 year period where the Gentiles are not fooled. Where would that be from Acts 2? I believe to the end of time. The church has not been deceived. Oh, some of them will get off the track and live the way they shouldn't. But the true church, God's elect family, they're not deceived for that 2,000 years. 2,000 thousand years is not... The time is over at the signing of the last trump, isn't it? How can there be a 1,000-year reign after this is all over with? How? Somebody tell me. There can't be, can there? I don't, why am I the only guy that can see that? Why can I see that the, at the signing of the seventh trumpet, time is over? There's no seven-year tribulation. There's no thousand-year reign. 
You know where that came from? A man named J.N. Darby. Around 1830 to 35, he came to America and brought this preacher of rapture with him, preacher of, and brought this thousand-year millennial reign, brought that with him, and and it got into the church, and a man named C.I. Schofield propagated that more than anybody with the Schofield Bible. You can't believe Mr. Schofield. When I was a kid in the Baptist church, everybody said, you need to get a Schofield Bible. And I said, gosh, I hope I get one of those one day. I grew up and began to study, and I found out you don't want a Schofield Bible. He propagated this. He's the guy that made it popular in America. So I hope you can see this. And there's much more. I I taught on the book of Revelation for four and a half years. I went through all of this. I'm running out of time here. And I'll come back and go into the kingdom of God more. It is Israel. And if we're not Israel, the kingdom of God is here now. People say, how do we rule? Hebrews 1 and 8, we rule with the scepter of righteousness, euthetos, a well-leveling. When we level to the will of God, we tell people the truth. We're actually ruling them because that's a king within us. We're priests and kings, aren't we? A king rules according to the word of God. I hate to be cut off this quick and this easy but I hope I hope y'all are beginning to see some of this. There's no thousand year reign. That's crazy. It makes no sense. Especially when time is over at the signing of the last trump. Duh. Why can I see that and John MacArthur can't see it? I don't know. Maybe he flunked math in school or something. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. God, I love this word and I love the way you've revealed it to us. Cause us to see it, Lord, in its fullness. God will praise you for everything. Give us strength to keep standing. It's awful hard, Lord, with a world coming after us. We'll praise you for everything. We'll guard this word with our life. Fight every battle we have, and we'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. I, I can't get through all this. It's just too much.